Hey there, Mosaic. Good morning. I hope that everyone is hanging in there, that you and your families are healthy and safe. And I hope that even as we continue to long for this crisis to be over, that you're experiencing something beautiful in your life uh, that God is bringing about as a result of these strange circumstances in which we find ourselves. Uh, as we live out this moment as a community, uh, we're walking backwards through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. It's a letter about how pursuit of Jesus' kingdom dismantles power and privilege in the midst of empire. And the section that we're looking at today brings up a word that we're going to talk about, which depending on your history with it, it may hold uh, not very much significance in your mind, or it may be loaded with very positive connotations, or it may be loaded with very negative connotations. Uh, and that word is zealotry, or zealot, zeal, zealous. I imagine some of you hear that word and think, zealous, yes, that's, that's who I am. And some of you might think, oh dear goodness, zealous. That is an exhausting, uh, disturbing word uh, for me. Um, and I'll say this about my own background uh, with the word. Um, I grew up thinking that zealousness was something to be desired. Uh, the church that I grew up um, and the environments in which I was raised, uh, faithfulness to God was defined by our willingness to take extreme, radical, combative actions in God's name. And that really is the essence of zealotry as we tend to think of it. So I came of age in the 90s, uh, which was the decade in which we were given one of the great gifts of the popular Christian subculture. And I'm talking, of course, about that great DC talk hit song, Jesus Freak, which in my mind encapsulates uh, this idea of zealotry. Uh, I was thinking in my mind earlier about the lyrics of that song, Jesus Freak, and at some point I, I had to say, am I remembering those correctly? They seem too ridiculous to be real. I had to go Google the lyrics to Jesus Freak, and sure enough, um, they struck me as every bit strange now as, as I remembered them. Uh, the story that's told in the first verse uh, of the song Jesus Freak essentially uh, it tells the story of a portly guy um, with a tattoo on his gut um, that the tattoo says uh, Jesus saves and he goes and stands on a box in the middle of the city and just kind of wiggles uh, his stomach around so that people can see that message. And the subtext of the song, when it comes down to it, um, if you remember, is essentially, you know, if you really love Jesus, you'd be more like this guy. And then 25 years later, uh, that, that seems strange. Uh, from the zealotry mindset, uh, that makes all the sense in the world, though. The more extreme your actions the more faithful you are uh, to Jesus. And probably the most faithful thing that any one of us could do at any given moment is buy ourselves a megaphone, head out to a busy sidewalk, and start talking about Jesus with the most extreme rhetoric that we can think of. 
And what sits at the heart of this mindset of zealotry uh, is kind of the dual idea that, number one, we know exactly what it is that God wants to have happen and how he wants it to happen. And number two, that he needs us to go out and act forcefully to make that happen. I remember when I was about 23 years old, um, I had a very strange church experience. I had moved to Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, to take an opportunity as a youth and children's pastor at a small church plant. Uh, they were meeting at a high school gym, and within the first few weeks of me coming on board, we made a deal to rent a facility uh, that we would be converting from a bar and nightclub uh, into a facility for our church. It was a fantastic opportunity to move a little closer to the heart of the city, a city that I loved living in, by the way, Fort Collins. What a great town uh, that was uh, to live in. And uh, as our date to uh, relaunch um, the church plant and the new facility drew closer, we were all very, very, very excited about it. We had some uh, church-wide work days planned to spruce up the place, get it ready. Uh, and as the landlord worked with us to bring in some contractors to alter the space, uh, make classrooms and install electrical work, it was all very exciting. But then a member of our leadership team had a conversation with a city official uh, that changed everything. As it turns out, our lead pastor had made an agreement with our new landlord that we would make these substantial changes to the facility. New rooms, new electrical, new plumbing, all without pulling any permits, without inspections, without paying municipal fees. I know, it was horrible. Uh, most of us found out um, about this little arrangement when we arrived at the building on the Saturday night before our big relaunch uh, for one last uh, work night to get the place ready for Sunday morning. And we found out that we were getting shut down um, in that facility by the city until we got our stuff in order. But the most disconcerting part of that whole incident came when our lead pastor addressed all of us who were gathered there um, and constructed a narrative that flipped the whole incident on its head. He said that God wanted us in that facility and that clearly Satan was worried about what our presence in the neighborhood would mean. And so Satan was using city officials to get us shut down to keep us from doing God's work. And as I looked around the circle, I could not believe the nodding of heads that was going on to that narrative. Maybe if I had been a little bit wiser, I might have taken that as a signal um, that maybe I shouldn't stick around that church situation, that maybe it wasn't the best idea. But 23-year-old Jeff was not wiser, but that's a whole other story. And that is the dark side to me of the zealotry mindset that even good Jesus-following, mission-minded people 
can get it into our head that, yeah, don't worry. We pretty much know exactly what it is that God wants us to get done. We just have to push harder. We just have to make it happen. We just have to force it. And when we get into that mindset, we can do some pretty damaging things. And it seems that when we look at the 13th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, we see that the zealotry tradition within Judaism played an active role in some people's approaches to living out the gospel. And it's understandable. A lot of these uh, Christians in Rome were Jewish converts living in a society where they and their neighbors were frequent targets of abuse, displacement, exile from the Roman government. Uh, they were living under the Roman uh, Emperor Claudius, who was notoriously leveled punishingly harsh taxes. And remember, the heroes of the Old Testament tradition in Judaism were people like David and Samson, uh, people who took extreme, radical, combative actions against oppressors. So for at least some of the Jewish Christians in the church at Rome, the idea of openly resisting the government seemed like the natural spiritual reaction to what they were living through. They were certain that God was on their side, particularly over and against Emperor Claudius and his government. And here's what Paul has to say to them in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. These are shocking instructions for Paul to be delivering. They would have been shocking uh, to those members of the church at Rome who were all primed to resist and refuse to pay taxes uh, to the Roman government. But they're shocking in some ways to us too, I bet. Uh, for a lot of us, this just doesn't pass the smell test to just unquestioningly do what authorities, including governing authority, authorities, are telling us uh, to do. It brushes directly against uh, the Bible's prophetic tradition, um, including Jesus, of holding power to account and protecting uh, the vulnerable against injustices. And for that matter, I bet more than one of us 
uh, listening to this today uh, can probably think of times in your life where people with power have used these very words uh, to uphold their own abusive and unethical behavior. In fact, in my mind, when I imagine Phoebe, who Kurt talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, who was the leader of the church sent uh, to present this letter to the church in Rome, reading this letter, I can't help but imagine how these words struck her as a woman in a patriarchal society. So in light of where Paul is headed in this letter and what we can see of the heart of God in Jesus and throughout Scripture, I feel pretty comfortable in saying that this is not about God siding with power over and against the powerless. Rather, this is about Paul confronting that zealotry mindset that says, I know all about what God wants and how to build his kingdom for him, and I'll fight the whole world to make it happen. With a splash of cold water reality that says we don't always know what God is up to, what he's setting up, and why he's setting it up, and how he's building his kingdom. What Paul understands as someone who himself grew up very much quintessentially with this zealotry mindset is that zealotry in the end is incapable of dismantling the power and privilege of empire. Zealotry tries to beat empire at its own game with power versus power, force versus force, violence versus violence, political maneuvering versus political maneuvering. And Paul knows that ultimately all that zealotry, all that the empire game and zealotry can produce is violence and destruction. As we move through the letter to the Romans, we're going to be talking about what Paul is ultimately calling the church at Rome to, uh, what we're going to call Christoformity. And that's the ever-increasing conformity of ourselves to the person of Jesus. Paul understands that the only thing that truly dismantles the power and privilege of empire is Christoformity, transformation of our lives to a life characterized by bringing love and peace and justice and joy into the world. And I don't know about you, Mosaic, but I know for me, my life looks so unlike that most of the time that it takes imagination for what it would look like at my job, in my home, with my friends, on social media, for me to be more conformed to Jesus. Just like it would have taken real work for members in the Church of Rome to imagine what it would look like to bring grace into a world ruled by empire. And I believe with all my heart that only by resisting the temptation to believe that we already know with certainty 
exactly how God sees what's going on and how we need to make his kingdom happen. Only by giving up that zealotry mindset can we make room for the imagination of Christiformity. In Mosaic, this is one of the challenges of our time. We see in the church around us, for example, so many church leaders think they know exactly what God wants for us in this moment. There's this sense of certainty that, for example, God, what God wants for everyone is for us all to be back in church buildings for large group gatherings as quickly as possible. And they're going to stir people up. They're going to pressure their governors. They're even going to defy the law if that's what it takes to get everybody back in their church buildings. But I want to encourage us all to try to cultivate an imagination to wonder what beautiful things God is looking to accomplish in us during this particular moment in time to make us more like Jesus, to dismantle the power and privilege within ourselves, to empower us to bring love and peace into the world right around us right now, into the environments where we find ourselves, even if that's just with our own family in our own house, six feet apart. So beautiful mosaic family, I ask you today, what are the certainties that you hold on to that block your imagination for Christiformity, for that becoming conformed more and more to the image of Jesus? What are you certain that God needs you to accomplish or needs you to build or needs you to fight or needs you to argue about. And maybe there's some truth to those certainties, but I invite you today into the peace of letting go of those certainties and holding them with an open hand and leave room to imagine what if God is using this moment to craft something totally and beautifully different within me than I may have imagined before? Mosaic, I love you so much and I miss you so very much. Stay safe and healthy. Peace to you this week.